Welcome in to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I'm Sean Deegan here in Shawnee, Kansas, getting ready for another discussion of Chiefs football. And good Lord, do we have a lot to talk about. So let's get right to it. We are in a battle for most homeless look today. So coming in at first place, I'm just going to say it. Jacob Allen back in Denver is with us. How you doing, man? You know what? I'm fitting right in here in Denver. Uh, you know, if I walk 10 blocks, people will not mistake me for a homeless man. Definitely the most respectable looking out of all of us. Sam Blecka is back with us. How are you, bud? Oh, not too bad. Um, I don't know. My hat probably disguises quite a bit of the homeless, homeless <laughs> vibe right now. But. That's true. And uh, average is always right down the middle of most homeless is me, Sean, back here in Shawnee, Kansas. Let's get right to it because, man, we got a lot to talk about. A lot happened in this game. Chiefs do beat the Dolphins 33-27. to They do clinch their fifth straight AFC West title. So, outstanding. For work for the Chiefs and Andy Reid. His 11th conference title overall is what I believe they said during the, uh, the broadcast. The Chiefs also, with a loss for the Pittsburgh Steelers, moved into first place uh, in the playoff seating. So right now, if they were to win out, they would have the first round bye. And remember, there is only one this year for the playoffs. So it, there's even more importance placed on that bye week. So Chiefs really in the driver's seat. And again, they've clinched the AFC West title. Now have a chance to get that first bye week. Just before we dive into the actual analysis of this game, score recap for our predictions from uh, last podcast. Again, Chiefs won 33-27. I had picked a 35-30 to game. Sam, you were at 34-20. to Jacob at 31-17. to So I would just like to say that as the one who had the least amount of faith in the Chiefs defense, I feel slightly rewarded. We'll see how that is able to get rectified going forward. Let's do start there, though, with the defense. Jacob, you had posed a question in our our chat between the three of us that I think is is probably the most pertinent question because this game I thought was kind of odd where I thought the defense looked really good in moments and in other moments they just disappeared. And you had posed the question – is this defense good enough? And, and I, I've kind of tacked on in our rundown, good enough to win a Super Bowl. Putting the caveat in that obviously they have Patrick Mahomes-led offense with Andy Reid at the helm, but is this defense good enough with the, even with those two things to help the Chiefs get to a win? Let's just go ahead and get our initial impressions. Jacob, we'll start with you. What was your thought about this game? Um, and then if you want to just give our thoughts about how the defense looks, we'll go from there. Yep. First, Sean, I want to acknowledge, let's not forget to continuously acknowledge when the Chiefs win. It is not a given. Okay, I took a moment to do that. My <laughs> takeaway from the defense was this. I think they played good enough to win a Super Bowl for three quarters. For three quarters, and I would even go as far as three and a half quarters. The one big drive that killed me was the drive with about 14 minutes in the fourth quarter that took two minutes. That, that just doesn't work. You know, you can't give up touchdowns that quickly when you're ahead, you have to manage it better. They did have their second touchdown drive took from the 10 minute to the four minute mark. That's more ideal. And this is something that before we recorded our thoughts that Sam always talked about with Bob Sutton being terrible with a lead, would never blitz, would just put everybody in prevent and let teams come storming back. The current team we have, it's okay if you give up a six-minute, six- to eight-minute touchdown drive, but you give up two-minute touchdown drives, you get a ball game again. 
they've got to manage a little better than they did. That was the one biggest disappointment I had about the defense this week. Sam, how about you? What were your initial thoughts in this game? And we'll, we'll go right into the defense there too for you as well. My general reaction to the game is, is something I think we've seen a lot this year, which is the Chiefs tend or seem to be t- uh, playing to the level of their opponent instead of playing the best ball they can whenever they can. Because when we look at, again, backtracking to the game, that, that Dolphins team was not the full-strength Dolphins team. That was not the team that if we had gone up again, or even the game team we thought we were going to be playing 24 hours prior, and they still didn't seem to just take the game over. Now, I'll say three and a half quarters of that game, it looked like a pretty dominant performance, and Jacob, I think, nailed it perfectly where – a lot of what we see, again, the, the problems that we see with and complaints we have is that not only the offense, but the defense seems to just kind of let their foot off the gas at the end of games and let teams kind of get back into it. Now, I will also, before, I mean, before we get too much in, the one thing I want to give is credit to the Dolphins. That was a really good team. When I watched that team, that, that honestly, what I want to say is they were almost Chief Junior-esque, where they, they played a lot like what we play. Um, Tua Tungapaloa really impressed me quite a bit. Uh, He had some rookie mistakes. I thought we did a good job of flustering the rookie to not be able to play up to his level, but I thought he played really well. And I think in the future there, if that team can stay together and continue developing that, that's a team that's going to be a a force to be reckoned with in the AFC for sure. But overall, my biggest complaint with the defense is, is exactly what Jacob said. It's just taking the foot off the gas not finishing games and and not having a com- being able to have the complete game to show that they are able to win games in that fashion. Now again, I I think it's like Jacob. I'll echo him again and say that I do think they're good enough to win a Super Bowl, with the caveat saying that if they play the best they can, because if they give up points at two minute drives, then that's a big pressure on the whole team. Yeah, I'll give my thoughts as well. Overall, with the game, I thought you know, in, in leaning towards the defensive side. When Patrick Mahomes plays a quarter like he did, and especially that first half, I thought that was probably Mahomes' worst half of football that I'd seen him play as a Kansas City Chief in a long time. I, I'd have to really dig to find out what he did. So the fact that the defense held this team, the, the Dolphins, who, like you say, are talented. Like, they have some, some real talent on this team, especially on the offensive side. We're talking about like Tua, Mike Gusecki. You know, we didn't see um, Gaskin at running back or much of Devontae Parker in the game at wide receiver. But even so, they were still able to manage a, a competent offensive threat. And you were able to hold that, that team to 10 points basically through three quarters. I think that that's kind of my general thoughts on, on this game as well, is that you started in a, in a maybe to echo your guys' sentiments about taking your foot off the gas, but in a different way. You started out looking dominant. You know, you finally got home. You got four sacks. But you also at times looked like you couldn't manage to get past an offensive line that had three rookies on it. You know, I thought the the starting cornerbacks and the safeties in particular played very well overall. But you also let two players who, one, had, had played two games, including this game all season, and one, this was the most snaps he'd received pretty much all year, in uh, Lynn Bowden and Matt Collins combined for 148 receiving yards. It's, it was just a very odd performance that didn't leave me feeling terribly comfortable. 
I think if the defense in the first half shows up, that can negate that kind of defense that even if they bend, they can negate some of the mistakes that an, the offense might make, then yes, they, I think they are a defense that can win a Super Bowl. But if it's that defense that showed up in the fourth quarter, I think you're looking at 2018 all over again, AFC Championship at best and out. Yeah, and to finish off with this whole point, you know, first thought I had re-coming away was, man, the defense gave up 10 points through three quarters, and the offense put a lot of pressure on them this week with the four turnovers. And another thing, so the turnovers both ways made this game very strange because as I was counting and looking at spots, I saw three near interceptions that got dropped. Sneed had the best chance at an interception where the wide receiver ended up breaking up a pass in the second half. That would have completely changed the game. The Thornhill getting beat by the tight end touchdown. Thornhill was in a spot where he could have gone and made a play but didn't. And then the tight end, of course, just monster took it away, which we know is a big fear of ours. And then the final one was just a Breland tip that if the whoever the safety or the person over the top was – you know, in a better position would have had. I think it's a weird game to, again, talk about. And uh, Seth Kaiser and Nate Taylor, their signature thing on their podcast is to say, the Chiefs only play weird games. This was another one of them where it's like, if Mahomes has three turnovers, I'm convinced it's a two-score win. If the Chiefs pick a ball, pick one of those balls, it's a two-score win. And these games are all ifs and ifs and ifs, if, 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 and we – we talked about opportunities last week and it's just, it's so odd because the chiefs are so electric and you have four turnovers and still put up 31 points odd game all around. And like I said, it was very close to being, being able to be happy about the defense. So I am going to live on my defense was good enough, not good, good enough because you guys make great points about what did the dolphins have at the end? Cause I know I previewed last week, I don't think this team has the weapons to shoot it out with the Chiefs. I didn't think Dan Sorensen was going to break Mike Gusecki at some point either. My brain is spinning, and I know I just put my, my flag on a hill, but my brain is spinning about everything I've just said, and I apologize for even talking. Oh, that's the podcast, though. We just ramble, and hope, hopefully somebody enjoys it. But I do want to, well, as we move now to like the specifics of the defense, I'm, I want to save the defensive line for last because I think that's the one that has the most to talk about. I think that has some of the more interesting parts of it. So let's, let's get through the other, other two. I still think have some, uh, some interesting points. Starting with the secondary, we'll start at the back and move our way in. Like I said before, and Sam, you kind of, you had mentioned the starting corners before we started as, as, players that you thought played well. I agree. I thought the secondary overall played well. Some of the you know third, fourth corners, et cetera, didn't do very well. Matthew comes up with his sixth interception on the year. So he's, he's looking every bit the all pro and you know, with the numbers at this point in, in coverage that you'd expect him to be with. I thought Breland had another really good game. I think he has looked really sharp. I thought this might've been Ward's best game so far this year. Whether or not you want to talk about that's because of the weapons that were available for Tua to throw to, you know, you can make that argument. But also on the flip side, like I alluded to, I stated in my opening thoughts, Mac Hollins for the um, Dolphins, he, this, this was his career, his, <laughs> his previous four games, 
he totaled the same amount of receptions that he had in this game. Lynn Bowden, prior to this game, had played in one other game last week against Cincinnati, had four catches for 41 yards, and then this week crossed the 100-yard mark for the season with 82 yards receiving. And then, you know, Jacob, you, you talked about the tight end as well. Mike Gusecki, he didn't even play most of the, you know, the last quarter because, you know, Dan Sorensen decided if I can't stop you, I'm just going to break you and drove him out of the game with a really vicious hit. And, but Gusecki to that point, five catches, 65 yards, and two touchdowns. Again, kind of, again, a weird, weird performance. Sam, we'll start with you. Where are you at with the secondary and their performance in this game? As I said it, it, before it, I felt that the the starting two cornerbacks specifically or with the two I'm referring to are Breland and Ward did play well. I'm not going to say with Breland playing much better than Ward, I will say. Um, now I'll give Ward a little credit in that uh, Anthony Hitchens about killed him in this game, but it, it, it seemed like on the outside they covered pretty well. It was the, kind of in between the hashes where I feel there was some trouble keeping wide receivers locked up. And that's where it comes into Fenton and Snead. And Snead had a big game this – I mean, as far as snaps, I think he was on the field for over 70% of the game um, for defensive snaps. And he just – there were several plays, especially early in the game. I think early he had some some rookie mistakes that just, I hope, kind of worked themselves out, but are the problems that allow teams to be able to – dink and dunk down the field, allow them to get those little plays. And even more so with the – and it will roll into the the linebackers as well for me in coverage is that middle of the field I think is where we're hurting. And that's because what I saw a lot of in this game was Tyron Matthew and Sorensen were both up on the line a lot. They were up playing the box quite frequently instead of playing back off a lot like we had seen the previous couple games. So – it was a decent game by the secondary. I think one of the biggest struggles I still have when I watch the secondary is just their, their tackling. Um, Breland missed a awful tackle this game. I can't, I can't excuse that. And it just seems like they miss stupid tackles that allow for first downs, allow for just continued drives instead of being able to, to stop teams and, and force a turnover or get a punt. And so it was a good Good outing by the secondary, not a great one in my opinion. I think there's definitely quite a bit of room for improvement. Yeah. uh, Bashan Breland looked like guys when you're playing NFL Blitz 2000 on his missed tackle. You know, just run full speed and put your head down and just dive and hope you hit the right area. But I'm with you on that, Sam. I think the top two guys have played great. Bashad Breland has been a steal of a deal this year. The Chiefs are paying that guy nothing to be a lockdown corner. Sneed, I, I'm with you on that. His cover, he just made some weird decisions. But also, he is a great tackler. So if things don't work out for Sneed at corner, I can see why the Chiefs praised him and said, you know, in college, this guy played safety. I can see why he played safety because he is a he's, – he's a thumper when he does tackle guys. I know a couple weeks ago he had a terrible missed tackle. He had the NFL Blitz 2000 tackle of Breland just a few weeks ago. Yeah, I was pretty pleased with the secondary. Sam hit it on the head. The middle of the field's a problem. That's where teams are going to kill them. So I was surprised that Tom Brady didn't pick them apart. I think the Chiefs' game plan is part of that. I think when they played Brady, they packed the middle of the field. And like Sam said, this week they spread it out and said, Tua, 
we're, we know you're an accurate passer, but we're not going to let you – we're going to force you to beat us deep. Beat us in man. I don't really think there's a whole lot else to talk about with the secondary other than just real quickly each tight end. Again, like you were kind of saying, Sam, they do a great job covering outside, but in the middle they have struggled against wide receivers. And then especially against the tight end, they just don't have anyone who can cover a tight end at this point. And, and they've tried everyone. You know, Breland was played, played on Waller when they played Oakland. They've, they've had the combination of Sorensen and Matthew uh, trying to play them when they played in the slot. There's, there's not been any combination that has been able to, to stop the tight end play. So I'll just real quickly go around. I think we're, we're beyond finding out what our level of concern is at this point. So is there anything that you would like to see them try at this point to try and maybe not stop, but at least contain the tight end play? Uh, Sam, we'll start with, uh, start with you for this one. What do you, is there anything that you think they haven't tried that you think might make a difference when trying to cover a talented tight end? No, because I think they've tried everything. Now I will say I actually liked what they did um, against Kaseki this game because though he had two touchdowns and, and I think he was kind of their only option at some points in the game. So I don't, the, the touchdowns, one was a, was a good play. The other was kind of a, a weird, almost interception, great grab by him play down the middle of the field. Uh, but what I so I thought they did a good job on him, especially because they the player that they put on him I thought fit well was as Jacob mentioned Snead. Um, Snead is a big body but still relatively fast cornerback, and he covered him early parts of the game. I saw him I saw him on Gasecki quite a bit, and then Sorensen kind of rotated in as well. Um, and I thought they they did a relatively good job actually locking him down, considering he was kind of their big weapon. Now that obviously opened the the door for some other guys to get some catches on the other um, for their offense. But I, that game could have been a lot worse for me as far as a big physical fast tight end goes, considering what we've seen out of other teams that have played us. Jacob, how about you? What did, what did you? Is there anything that you think you'd like to see them try to, to negate a tight end? You know, a betting man already knows my answer here. <laughs> Jan Yelder got those legs warmed up on offense this week. We saw him out there. You know, Kaiser didn't get featured in the, you know, the weird one, one weird pass play to a backup player that you see once every four weeks. I think they're getting his legs warmed up for defense. But, no, I, it's going to be trouble. I think the biggest change from last year is that, they can't trust Juan Thornhill over the top and put Tyron Matthew on a tight end to at least I'll call it pester a tight end. I don't think Tyron Matthew does a great job of, you know, consistently keeping the ball away from the tight end in the sense of he's not going to go up and really get it away from a tight end, but he'll sit there and pester a tight end enough. And we saw that this week where he pestered the guy enough to drop a ball and also veteran move to block the eyes of the tight end as the ball arrived. Just he put his hand over the visor, pretty funny. But I think that's the option. I think you've still got to hope on Thornhill getting relied on more and more over the top and, you know, push Matthew down and let him just pester a guy. I think you still think, too, like we said last week, of some guys are Travis Kelsey and they're going to get theirs and you just hope you can limit it. And then because Sam brought up the first Gusecki touchdown, I do believe – 
I, I do believe, I do believe that was Ben Neiman's fault because Ben Neiman had Gasecki on the line, was being blocked by him, and then just released him behind himself. And Tua, Tua did his best impression of Patrick Mahomes on that play and kind of shot put the ball to, to Gasecki, a la Mahomes to Kelsey in the Texans playoff games where it was not a naturally thrown ball, but he got it there. Transition beautifully to our next topic, which – it's not so much about the linebackers as a whole, really so much about our dear friend Ben Neiman. And I, I know I went to Sam first earlier, but Sam, you were, you were talking about this before we started recording, so I will give you first opportunity here as well. Ben Neiman played you, – and you looked up the stat count, Sam, so I'll let you give it here. But Ben Neiman played too much in this game. And really too much for all us three is at all. So – and especially when you have an athlete, an athlete like Willie Gay Jr., who, granted, he's a rookie. Yes, he is a rookie, and he is going to make mistakes. But he is an athletic freak at linebacker. And when you have an athletic freak at tight end, it might behoove you that if you're going to play a linebacker on him, at least play someone who can match him athletically. And Ben Neiman is not that. So linebacker as a whole, if you want, Sam, but... Obviously, Ben Neiman may be the focal point of of that group's performance this week. Yeah, so uh, Ben Neiman was was actually on the field for kind of a staggering 91% of the defensive snaps this game. Now, obviously, that is with with Wilson out for the game. But it was just – I don't – and again, I I am not an NFL coach, an NFL scout, or or any of those aspects – but me watching Ben Neiman, I don't understand what they see in, in him as a starting or even a rotational guy in that linebacking core because everything he did didn't look good. Every pressure he had, he didn't pressure correctly. He let Tua sit back there. There was a couple of plays where his pressure didn't do anything to affect Tua from being able to, to line up a ball and, and really get good passes down the field. Run protection, he just I don't get him. I don't understand what the the side is. Now, maybe it's he's a player that that the only side I can see of that is the intelligence factor of the ability to play co- or call plays within the defensive backfield because when you have Hitchens and Willie Gay, maybe they aren't as up on the the playbook or aren't aren't as they don't have the game savvy that a guy like that has. That's the only thing I can I can think that they're seeing out of him to allow him to have that many snaps because he is a huge liability for me and and that's where when you talk about the secondary when you talk about the coverage it's the the linebacker coverage that worries me the most because it is that that middle zone that gets eaten up all the time um plays that just the guys just go in there and sit and our linebackers have no ability to cover so i i don't understand again willie gay you mentioned him only had 19 percent of snaps this week very low amount. I mean, and he's just a guy that I don't understand why they don't give him more opportunities, especially when we see the ineffectiveness of, of Ben Neiman. He just does not seem to be an NFL talent to the level that we need him starting, in my opinion. Right along with you. First off, Anthony Hitchens is the play caller for the defense, so you would hope his playbook is up to speed. I think Anthony Hitchens figured out coverage this week. He figured out, you know what, I can't cover a zone – so if I kill people constantly on slants, even if it's my own teammate, maybe I can be effective. So his most effective plays this week were, number one, knocking Ward out of the game, and number two, hitting the Dolphins receiver late on a slant. 
try to break up the ball that was not there at all in the receiver's hands. And I'm right with you, Sam. Neiman makes zero sense. You see Willie Gay come in and he covers, I'm going to say, 30% more of the field than Ben Neiman can. On one of the wide receiver throwbacks even, I saw Willie Gay get you know, mixed up for a second, but then recovered so well that he was the one that just thwarted the play completely. Willie Gay and Wharton are two guys that Seth Kaiser put a lot of film about out this week on Twitter for free. So you can go and watch a lot of his athletic plays and Wharton as well and also be just as puzzled as we are about why Ben Neiman plays. Yeah, that's that's my thing about because I, I I'm with you, Sam. Like the one reason you'd have a guy like Neiman is because he's he is maybe the fastest at processing a play call when it comes in and, and getting people lined up. But that's all they talk about on broadcasts about Anthony Hitchens. They always talk that's the only thing they talk about that's really the only thing they talk about with Anthony Hitchens is how well he does at getting the play call in and getting everybody lined up. That's why he's the quarterback of the defense because they have nothing else to talk about with Hitchens. And if you're going to be that guy, then there, I don't see a place for Ben Neiman because he's not athletic. He's not, he's not even a good tackler. So there's really not a whole lot left for you at a certain point. If you, if you don't can't diagnose and uh, distribute play calls and get people lined up, if you're not the primary guy for that, if you're not athletic enough to play coverage, stick with, you know, tight ends and, or, you know, move sideline to sideline to cover running backs, and if you're not a good enough tackler, that even if you are in position to make, make a play, that it doesn't matter and that guy will just go right by you, then there's not a place for you. And I think that's probably the most frustrating thing for me is that I see a place for Willie Gay. Because we have a guy who's, who can dissect the play, uh, play call coming in and get people lined up. Hitchens isn't the most athletic linebacker, but he, he can at least, you know, we, we joke about it, but you, you'd kind of sit it a couple weeks back, Sam, it's like, they were there. The linebackers were there, and they played. And really, at this point, that's all we can expect from, you know, Anthony Hitchens and, you know, Wilson. But you can, but you can see a place for a guy like Willie Gay who can maybe elevate that level of athleticism to the point where, yes, they will play their slots, and then you have Willie Gay as your sideline-to-sideline guy or your north-to-south guy, whichever, you know, way you want him running. Because I've, I've thought that, Willie Gay has looked really good in, in coverage at times because, due to his athleticism. Like Jacob said, he's not always going to dissect the play correctly, but his athletic ability allows him to make up for it. And I thought that completely whiffing on Drew Locke notwithstanding, his pressure that he creates with blitzes has been probably the most effective out of any of the players that they send on a blitz regularly. He's big enough and strong enough to, to get through the offensive line, but he is so fast for a linebacker that his closing speed is, is it jumps off the screen at you. So I, I, can, I think that's the most frustrating part for me is I can see a place for Willie Gay Jr., and I don't see a place for Ben Neiman at all. It doesn't make sense to me. So moving on now to, I think, maybe the most puzzling and interesting performance of the defense this week is the defensive line. Defensive line had four sacks in this game, completely negating our, our discussions about their inability to get home. This week, they were money. They got home four times, and, and, I th- and that's terrific. However, there were also moments that against an offensive line that was playing three rookies that they looked neutralized and, and to me and could not get home. I'll, just to give my point of view, it, there were times where I felt 
they that Tua could just stand there and do whatever he wanted. It wasn't all the time. Again, there were moments, there were times during the game where the defensive line, I thought, looked as good as they've looked all season. But there were moments where they just looked com- completely standstill and neutralized, even with, you know, blitzing. Uh, I do want to go ahead and get your guys' opinions on the defensive line. Jacob, we'll start with you on this one. How did you think uh, the off- defensive line played against the Dolphins in this one? Sean, I love the intro there. You sound just like me. The defensive line played great this week, except for when they didn't. You sound like me starting the statement with, you know, this was good and also the worst thing I've ever seen. I love it, Sean. You're starting to jump on my bandwagon. The best things that were happened were the youth. We went last week and, you know, as Sean often says, things are never as good as you think. Things are never as bad as you think. Last week we were on the boat of cut every single guy on this defensive line. This week I felt – I was like, man, Brett Veach is a genius. Look at these value picks he has and value pickups. Because we all agreed Mike Dana played his best we probably have seen. I was blown out of the water. I And I'm the notorious there's nothing here guy when they drafted Mike Dana in the fifth round. Because when you're like me, that's what you get emotional about is fifth round Chiefs draft picks instead of, you know, family matters or anything you know what other whatever other people get emotional about and then the other guy that stood out and I've mentioned him a couple times already but also because you know I have anointed him the Aaron Donald light or the Walmart Aaron Donald for the Chiefs is Wharton I of course am in jest a little bit about that I it's for me it's his body type is he's kind of short and compact But what I liked a lot about him this week was the combos that him and Chris Jones play with each other. Chris Jones can demand a lot of special or a lot of double teams. And Wharton has some moves that can just completely baffle defensive linemen. But on the other side of that, Wharton doesn't win that much one-on-one, not that often. But another thing that he does well that doesn't matter for the one-on-one is him and Chris Jones have great stunts this week, which is another one of – why I thought the defensive line was good this week was because Steve Spagnola has not stopped blitzing at all, but this week the blitzes were working more often. And then one final piece to what I think was key to the defensive line's success this week is the secondary had a great week and we can debate all day about what percentage of a sack is based on the secondary. Cause I mean, you throw a three yard slant and it's open sorry, three-yard slam, probably like a five-yard slam, and it's open. It doesn't matter how quick you rush if the slam's there. So I think the secondary also was a big reason we saw an improvement on the D-line as well. So there was a lot of factors going into it. Yeah, I agree. I secondary didn't play well. I think Dan the sack, I think, in our Chiefs chat during the game was one that we all went, that was a covered sack. But to his credit, he beat his man and was relentless getting to the quarterback. He never quit. His motor never quit, which I think was the thing that impressed me most about Dana. I, I do agree with you that Wharton is typically not, you know, someone who's going to beat his man one-on-one, but I, this was actually one week where I, th- his sack, I thought was, he just beat his man clean off the line. It wasn't even, you know, a, a, a great move or anything. It was just, he got off the line so quick that by the time that the guard was up, Wharton was already in the backfield and it was too late. To your point about the stunts, the, the safety sack by Chris Jones, I thought was a hundred percent caused by the stunt play, uh, the stunt call by Spagnola, 
when jo- when uh, Jones loops to the outside, Okafor and Nadi crash down to the middle. They just brought the ta- right tackle, guard, and center with them, and Jones is essentially left free, looping around the outside. I, I was really impressed with Spagnuolo's uh, handling of the defensive line and then their ability to execute. It looked really good. Again, like I said, there were times where I was really frustrated during the game where Tua could just stand there and I'm and I'd start shouting in my own head or to myself because I'm alone here in the apartment with my poor fiance has to tolerate me through these games. I'm just screaming, "Why? What? What are you doing? Get to him!" And then there were times where they just blew up the entire offensive line and caused a lot of pressure. Uh, Sam, what was your what were your thoughts about the defensive line performance in this one? Yeah, I I mean. I don't have a whole lot else to add. I think it, the the interesting thing to me is is the the overall rotation we saw this week. Because um, usually what what we see is that the player that's in there almost as much as Frank Lark and, and Chris Jones, who should be in there every the amount they get paid, they should be in there pretty much every snap. Which I think the Frank Clark discussion will be one we'll, we'll come back to in a second. But the, the, the other player you expect to typically see a lot of snaps with was Naughty, and he didn't play a lot this week. He, he had a very low amount of snaps compared to what he usually has, and I kind of wonder if, if introducing Wharton into that position, as Jacob mentioned, gives a, it gives a different element to our pass rush because Naughty is a great run stuffer. I mean, that guy can just hold up an de- offensive line and, and allow for run stopping very well, but he's not – necessarily much of a pass rusher he's kind of the let's just go straight up the middle and when you've got that combined with Chris Jones where Chris Jones is kind of the same way just a lot more explosive than that it it just doesn't seem to work so I think the the rotation and the and the different lineup at defensive line we had this week maybe what we the reason we saw a little more success as far as the defensive line being able to get home now Mike Dana I'm not going to go too deep into him because obviously Jacob mentioned him Again, he had a huge impact on the game for not having a lot of snaps this week. Again, I, I when I, I was actually surprised to go in and see what how much he actually played because he didn't actually play very much. Um, I think he was on the bottom bottom two or bottom three of the number of snaps for, for position. But he 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 is an incredibly strong individual. That was the one thing I noticed about him is man, he can stand up any offensive tackle. I think and just kind of hold his own. Uh, so I was impressed. I still am worried about the the pressure from the outside. A lot of the pressure came straight up the middle this week, and and Frank Clark and and Passanyao, those two, that combination just doesn't seem to have have it. I would say it doesn't have the the ability to get that outside pressure that we I feel like is is necessary for these semi mobile mobile quarterbacks that we go up against so frequently. Moving, moving right into, and you, you set it up beautifully, Sam, but moving into more specifically Frank Clark, I think that's the one that's still maybe the most puzzling because, like you said, most of this game, his outside pass rush is just, it's not there. But he also had the most wicked spin move I've seen in his time as a chief that led to his sack in the game. And you just been I'm sitting there going, where has that been all year? Where, everybody on tape at this point has seen him just try to run around the outside. Snap a few more of those off and get to the quarterback. I do want to just quickly touch on one thing that jumped out at me about him in this game was, and I mentioned it to you guys before the podcast, so I won't try not to take up too much time here with it, but just to maybe add to the discussion. There was a, there was a specific play, and I meant to write it down the time that it happened, and I, I did not remember to do that, so I'll have to go back and look it up. But there was a play 
where it's a pass and Clark starts to run and he starts to lower his left hand like he's going to try and loop under the right, the left tackle, create leverage and, and get around him to get to the quarterback. And instead, as he drops his hand, he just kind of turns his left shoulder into the tackle and basically runs shoulder first into him. And it looked like he was trying to protect something on his body. It was the only time I saw him do it. So I can't say for sure one way or the other, if it was anything, but um, it did ju- It jumped out at me so much that it kind of took me out of like fan mode and, and paying attention to the game. And that was really all I was looking for. I do want to get your guys thoughts on him and just where we're at with Frank Clark, our, our seemingly weekly check-in now with him. Sam, I do want to go with you because you had mentioned something about before the podcast about a camera shot of Frank Clark that kind of caught your attention, maybe in regards to how healthy he is. Yeah. And, and I do, I do have to caution us, Sean, we're getting into the, we are going to start getting in the territory of having to have a no place like Mahomes string map for Frank Clark's injury. We're going to have to, <laughs> to start mapping out. Oh, I saw this, this game. However, um, what it was, it was one kind of the same thing you saw that was just an oddity that actually rolled back a couple times watching the game where they took about a, a three or four second long shot of Frank Clark's hands when he went down in a stance. And it was just one of those, like just a strange shot to see. And they, they didn't comment on anything. So again, it may just be that we're, we're going into tinfoil hat hair area here, but it, he doesn't seem normal. He doesn't seem like outside of that exact play. I was going to, the one play, one play I, I mean, that we saw was the spin move. It was beautiful. I mean, that was Dwight Freeney-esque of being able to just get that, beat him on the outside and then spin straight in. But other than that, all he does is rush straight out. Um, now, he is fast, and he there was a couple plays where he seemed to be able to get around the edge, but just doesn't seem to have those moves available that we kind of saw coming in last year. So uh, it's, it's, it's a quandary. It's hard to understand what's going on with them for sure. Jacob, what, what pins are you pushing to add to our, our string theory of Frank Clark injury, yes or no? Well, I was actually going to say, you know what, I'm going to have to start calling around and find us a medical doctor. As you know, as often as we're diagnosing injuries on this podcast, we need to start the prod podcast. Welcome back to the Chiefs Medical Podcast. First off, great call on the spin, gentlemen. The spin was effective and ended a drive. That was a third down drive that was ended because of Frank Clark's spin and then got in the face of Tua, and then he spiked the ball to end, and that was right after the half. Frank's, Frank Clark's big play was before the half when he had that sack when the Dolphins were driving to get within a point. So I, I do need to salute Frank Clark before I absolutely just want to tear him a new one like I usually do. Again, I also hope that Frank Clark is injured, which is also, I think, why we're sitting there on pins and needles being like, okay, so I don't know if you remember this, but when they were featuring Tyron Matthew – Frank Clark was in the background and he touched his left kneecap three times. It could have been a separated kneecap or maybe he just needed to adjust his knee pad. I don't know. It's one of the two. So yeah, I think we're in the what's wrong mindset with this whole Frank Clark thing. And I wish I could give you more insight. I'm just going to tell you what I see. Mike Dana was more effective than him. Mike Dana set the edge I see Frank Clark, you know, not setting the edge. I mentioned it, I think, either last week or two weeks ago. Now, Dana doesn't have the closing speed that Clark has. We saw Dana get beat to the edge by Tua at one point. 
but Dana was in a tough place because if he would have kept contain on Tua's scramble, Tua had enough space to cut it inside him anyway. So he was he was in a lose-lose situation probably. But Frank Clark is tough, and I think you've got to look into the mindset about how do you think about a player once they get a paycheck. And this is where I'm going to shamelessly plug a new podcast that I have watched this week, which is Chiefs Chief Concerns. It is hosted by Eric Warfield and Marcus Dash and Jason Dunn as well. It has great firsthand stories, and every week it rotates on what guys are on there. But a story that I pulled from there that I think kind of relates to the situation is Eric Warfield talked about, you know, everybody loving him when he was a seventh round draft pick before he got his contract. And then he got his contract. And then at that point, people were like, this guy's no good, you know, getting paid. So that's the thing with Frank Clark is you're like, this guy is getting paid massive money and not being a superstar. And that's what's disappointing about it all is that, man, when Mike Dan is in there, it's like this guy's doing more than him. And he's, you know, getting paid as a fifth round draft pick. It's one that I also wonder of, you know, of course we're tougher on the guys that get paid. And it's just so disappointing when you pay a guy and they do nothing. It puts me back in my, and we'll talk more, I'm sure, in the offseason when we're roster building about just you pay four guys and that's it. And then the rest of the team is just guys you drafted or free agents you get in a bargain. It'll definitely be a, an interesting thing to follow going forward. And, and I mean, I do want to say just for all the people out there who are, might be screaming at us, specifically our parents, saying, screaming, hey, you wish that Frank Clark's hurt. We don't wish that Frank Clark is hurt. We wish that Frank Clark is hurt because that's the only rational performance uh, reasoning that we can come up with why he is not performing. We just we hope it's something like that and that not that he's just decided to take the rest of his career off, at least with the Chiefs. We do hope that I, – I got to hope that that's it because – Otherwise, there are no other good answers for me at that point. And if he is hurt, good Lord, he's tough as nails because he's obviously been playing with this for a while. They don't feel like they have a better option. Although I do hope that if this is the case, they do rotate more if he is hurt because obviously Dana, like you said, has looked really good. As weird as the defense performed, and again, it was a weird game, so we're going to stick with weird. Special teams, I think, made maybe the biggest impact on this game when the Chiefs needed it most. Uh, with a big-time punt return for a touchdown from Hardman, who I thought it was probably his best punt return that he's had in a long time because he didn't try to run sideline to sideline. and He just he did, he did go towards the sideline, but he did turn it upfield and just decide that he was really fast, and he ended up ending into the end zone. And then Butker, who we – Sam, God bless you, the only one who keeps remembering to say when Butker has a great game – was four for four on extra points this week and hit a, in my opinion, a huge field goal to make it a two score game in the fourth quarter uh, so that a, you know, freak touchdown doesn't end up losing you the game there at the end. We won't spend a whole lot of time on it, but I did want to touch on special teams just because I thought they made a big impact. Jacob, what were your thoughts on the performance of the oft left out third unit? Yeah, I have special teams as an A plus. The only way you could nitpick them is. Tommy Townsend punting out of the end zone only got it up to around the 45 to 50. So you'd be, you know, being a big time nitpicker. And I think part of the special teams talk is it's like your car, you know, when it's running well, you don't really think about it, but when that check engine light comes on, you start to panic and freak out. If your car breaks down, 
that's a game-winning missed kick by a kicker. Then it's just an absolute disaster, and they should cut the kicker right away. So it's tough to think about special games when it's going so well because they are so efficient of squads in the NFL that you really only start to talk about them when things go wrong. And Sam, what about you? Was there anything that you wanted to add to the special teams conversation here? The only thing you can say is is Dave Tobe, I don't think, gets near enough credit for what he does on, on that end of the ball because Jacob's fully correct. I'm, you don't talk about special teams unless it's bad. And obviously, beginning of this podcast, we had quite a bit because Bucker was having the yips and just couldn't couldn't get things straight, which he seems to have corrected uh, going on through this year. So that's a that's a huge benefit. But it, I mean, with with the speed that we have, it's it's always nice to see those returns because it's one of those that you half expected to see it every couple of games. Like with the speed that we have on that, uh, with the returners we have, it's it's kind of a okay, when's it going to happen? Because we know it's happening eventually. So it's just a, it's a, it's a nicety. It's, it's one of those things. It's a mark of a good team is, is having a special teams unit like ours. It was really good to see. It definitely made, made me feel easy that in clutch moments, you know, they're going to come through when needed. And I, again, thought the punt returns shifted momentum in the game at that point. And then Bucker, obviously, with a clutch field goal, making it a two-score game. Let's go ahead and get into the offense because this is a we'll start with we'll start with a man under center because he is the most iconic figure in Kansas City history. And this, in my opinion, is the worst game I can remember him having. Um, in the, and maybe like you could argue the first half of the Patriots game in the AFC championship game. But I have his his three interceptions, I think. Even though they were tipped, a couple of them, you can put all three of them squarely on his shoulders as bad decisions. I thought the screen, the, him trying to force the pass to Kelsey on that tight end screen was bad news. The defensive end, yeah, he fell down, but he was already in the backfield. That play was already delayed. It wasn't a good decision. You know, the, the, the high pass to Clyde edwards layer. That was an easy throw. It wasn't even like he was under serious duress at that point, which, again, he had been at times through the game. But that was an easy pass to make, and he couldn't make it. These, this, was, this was as bad a performance uh, from Mahomes, especially early in the game, as I think I've seen. And he still came out 24-34 for 393 and two touchdowns. Uh, I just want to quickly get you know, thoughts on his performance. Uh, Sam, we'll go to you here first. What do you make of, of Patrick Mahomes' performance in this one? A little rough. Um, you, you, I mean, you're completely correct. The, the three interceptions, one was the, – the decision on the screen was the only one where I can – it was a great play by that defensive end um, to get up off the ground and still tip the ball. Now, Pat could have done a little bit to, to help that play along, but it's still kind of one of those decisions that's like, what, why, why? the overthrow is not something we typically see. And then honestly, the ball that was tipped in the, or picked in the end zone, not only was it a tremendous play by the cornerback, it was an underthrow. I mean, he had the whole end zone to put that ball into Tyreek Hill's hands and he threw it as a jump ball. So three kind of rough picks. Everybody's got to have a bad game every now and then. It's, I'm glad it happened or at this point rather than the postseason. but he is Mahomes, man. And, and, outside of the interceptions there were there, there were some other aspects of his game that I didn't think looked super sharp because um, I think there were actually a couple other plays that that seemed like they could have pretty easily been picked 
uh, as well. So it wasn't the best game by him, but, he, I mean, the guy just knows how to win. And he's one of those players that you see a three-pick game by almost anybody else, and you're like, man, he must have that, – that's just awful. And you look at Mahomes, it's like, eh, he made some mistakes, and they still won. So I, I can't I can't bag on the guy completely. I just kind of look at it as okay. He had a he had a rough rough game a little bit, but um, still still is a, a, just an unbelievable player outside of that. How dare you? How dare both of you not talk about our record breaking quarterback? <laughs> Holmes shattered another record this week. He had the longest he had the longest sack in NFL history that didn't involve a fumble 30 yards on the nose 29 was the previous record so how dare you but yeah it was super odd it just goes to show that Patrick Mahomes has broken the game so much that you can have four turnovers and be completely fine and be waiting for another team for the other team to have a miracle but I think another thing to worry about is I think teams have figured out Patrick Mahomes the key is fall down get back up right as the balls are arriving and make the play Sam nailed it on the first interception he might have thrown it because the defender did fall to the ground first and he thought oh there's my window and then the defender got up and it essentially hit him off hit off his head I think it did hit his hands but it might have well have hit his head and then one other thing just to say, Sean had mentioned that the Patriots' first half was probably the one where you would say that's most likely his worst performance just because he didn't do much of anything. But I think the other two games you would have to point at is, number one, the Super Bowl. I think a lot of people would say, hey, that's one of Mahomes' you know, worst games, which is crazy to think. But the other one, I'll ask you guys if you haven't heard this, Mahomes has only had one other three interception game. What was it? Oh Lord! Um, holy cow! You're not going to come up with it because it ended up being. Was a, it the Rams game? It was the Rams game. Oh yeah. my god! So one of them was that freak fumble that just wound up in the arms of a defensive lineman. But yeah, that was the, his other three interception game. But I think he also had what five or six throwing touchdowns in that game. Yeah, it was a monster game. Like you don't think of the turnovers in that one. And so that's, that's something also, though, to compare is, would you rather that be the case where he's throwing three picks and the team still loses because he's pushing the ball so much? Or would you rather, you know, he had three picks, but the team was still up 11 with the Dolphins in a short amount of clock left or whatever the number was. Not, was it 11? Was that, is that correct? No, six and three, nine. They were up nine, right? Yeah, they were up nine at the end. Up nine, yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing with him, and that's why like I, I close my thoughts with yeah, he had this horrible game, and and he was still like if you look at his final numbers, he was still really pretty good. He's and and just to you know kind of help transition us into the the next topic, which we don't again don't have to spend a whole lot of time on. I think the the one following is the one that has maybe more to talk about. But Mahomes now leading the league in passing yards, and uh, Travis Kelsey now leading the league in receiving yards. The only question I really want to pose about Travis Kelsey at this point is have we reached the point where it is no longer is he the best tight end in football? Is Where does he rank in the current NFL? Not all time, but this year in the NFL, where does he rank as far as receivers go? 
like period throwing your wide receivers into that discussion and give me a name that you think is a more complete receiver than Travis Kelsey is right now. He doesn't have the tools of a DK Metcalf. Frankly, hardly anybody does. His numbers are better. Like he has, he, 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 he managed to find a way to get more receiving yards than a man who, who can run a four, what was it? A four, three forty while weighing 228 pounds of solid muscle. He's, he's, he's unreal. So I did just want to get your guys thoughts on his, his performance, this one, where he stands in the league at this point, Jacob, we'll start with you here. He good. He good. He good. (laughs) No. Yeah. I, Sean, you, you said it perfectly at this point, you can't even compare another tight end to him at the moment for the current season. It's tough. And you know, a lot of the, great wide receivers of past are kind of aging themselves out. And so, you know, it is kind of comparing him to young guns like DK Metcalf, you know, guys from previous seasons that have been pretty consistent who have kind of, you know, gone under the radar, you know, the Julio Jones and Odo Beckham, you know, was actually pretty consistent despite all his off the field and his diva mentality. But it, it's tough to say, and if he finishes the season as the leading receiver, there's another record broken. Sam, what about you? What are you? Where where are you stacking Travis Kelsey in the NFL here at this point? I mean, he, he he's just ridiculous. I can't. I mean, lack of words for him because he just every game I watch. I, I mean, what you have to watch him because he he does these little things that if you were to see him just generally run routes you're like man how is he how does he do all of this like what is his ability um it's funny that it it happened bringing it up this week is uh if you didn't get a chance to see the barstool sports um thing with uh them ranking tight ends right this season they absolutely hate Travis Kelsey because everyone says he's better than Gronk and they actually had um, Deion Sanders on, and Deion Sanders actually defended Travis Kelsey pretty heavily, just because he's he is he he has he has d- something different about him, man. And he, you can't, I mean, if you're leading the league in receptions as a tight end now, granted he has Patrick Mahomes as a quarterback, it's it's something special for sure. And and he just is every game just seems to come out and continually perform as as one of the best players that I've ever been able to watch personally. And then, yeah, one more thing on that. The craziest thing is you got DK Metcalf, and then the next guy you'd probably have to start thinking about is Tyree Kill, one of his teammates. So that makes the stretch even crazier that he has a guy on his team who takes touches away from him consistently. Uh, And then I did want to shout out Kelsey just while we were on him specifically one more time and say on the Tyree Kill touchdown, Travis Kelsey had a great block on the defensive end. Yes. Held him there for like three seconds. And I I use hold purposely because there are people out there that are going to say, that's a hold. But, you know, he was right on the, he was right on the outside of the frame and didn't tug the Jersey and anything like that. I just thought it was a clean, nice walk for a tight end on a defensive end. That is not something you see very much. And just talk blocking. And that is what people will knock Kelsey for is, you know, if you get on Twitter and listen to the knuckleheads on there, they're going to sit there and be like, well, he doesn't block like George Kittle does. Well, that bring up Kittle, and you can, again, talk about the greatness of the streak of Kelsey's. Man, tight ends just don't consistently dominate because of the style of play for a tight end. So this is just you know remarkable in that sense. To back up your point, Jacob, regarding Tyreek Hill, 
the here here are the guys behind him in terms of receiving yards this year. So Travis Kelsey, obviously number one. DK Metcalf is number two. Stephon Diggs, Tyreek Hill, DeAndre Hopkins, and Devontae Adams. Those are the guys behind him. And to your point about taking away receptions from him, Tyreek Hill's you know got 77 catches this year for 1,158 yards. And Travis Kelsey has still managed to have 1,250 yards on 90 catches so far this season and has put himself ahead of the, some of the top wide receivers in the NFL, including the guy on his team who, by the way, runs a 4-2-40 and is designed to run straight down the field with all kinds of speed and pick up huge chunks of yardage. And he still has managed to find himself in first place. He's, he's remarkable. You know, I just wanted to make sure we, we should have highlighted that with the, the guys behind him. John, real quick, can we just talk our short, short time on receivers real quick? Because there was just one more thing I wanted to point out as far as just kind of receiving in the passing game, which kind of cracked me up as far as just execution by the pass catchers beat the last AFC team he hadn't beaten yet. And I think it showed in two big moments. The first is Tyree kills touchdown. That safety took steps forward. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't even need to know how many steps forward it was because a single step forward is an issue. And Tony Romo beautifully pointed it out and just laughed about it on the broadcast. The other one that cracked me up, and this was something that I'm kind of stealing from Nate Taylor here that he said, you know, the dolphins are going to, Dolphins are going to not realize some of the things that Patrick Mahomes could do, and he's going to do a Mahomes thing that they hadn't seen before. When he rolled to right to the sideline and the Dolphins defenders followed him, I was like, you couldn't be any more dumb. And he just threw it right back to Kelsey. That's a play I've seen broken up by the Chargers and the Broncos because they are, you know, are sick and tired of that play, you know, torturing them alive. That's a good point. The whole rolling to the right, and you saw like the fir- the three defenders who were there in front of Kelsey just decide they were going to rush him, and he was like, "Oh, thanks," and touchdown. Now, uh, kind of looping back to your your point, Jacob, about blocking with Travis Kelsey, we saw an awful lot of not of that when it came to the offensive line uh, in this game. I-, I will say, I'll I'll start. I thought they looked really bad in the first half was where I noticed it the most. I thought the pass blocking in the second half was still very bad. I did think they improved somewhat in the run game once the Chiefs had a lead and they were, and they were trying to grind out the clock. I thought that they looked a little bit better, which is a little odd considering that Durant came in for Mike Remmers, who, is, who did get hurt in that game. We still don't have any word on whether or not he's actually going to, you know, what the extent of that injury is, I should say. But I thought this, this game for the offensive line, again, it was kind of one of those I couldn't quite figure out how I felt other than that I, I thought that Mahomes covered up for them a lot again. Um, Sam, we'll go to you next here. What, was your, what were your thoughts about the offensive line play in this one? As the weeks have gone on, I, I progressively get more and more concerned with the level of what I think Jacob's going to talking about or get to talk about is, is the scheming the offense, offensive line out of the picture. So I'll leave that to him. I'll leave, allow him to get that in the conversation. But for me, that's, that's a huge problem because it cuts a big aspect of what Mahomes is able to do. 
Um, and it, it forces him, as you said, to, to eliminate that problem. Both tackles this game, even at the beginning, were just turnstiles. I mean, they just let their defensive ends rush straight up the field and, and had no option to stop them. And the only time we saw them being effective is when Mahomes took them out of the picture. Um, now, you mentioned running. I actually didn't think they ran run block or did run blocking that well. I think Clyde Edward Tolaire and Le'Veon Bell just did special things this game. Clyde Edward Tolaire, man, that guy is just ridiculously strong. The the number of tackles he broke and the ability to continue a run play when he got hit at the line was just ridiculous, as was Le'Veon Bell. Um, so I, they were just a just a shambles this week. And, and the fact that losing Rimmers, which is the last resemblance of a starting right tackle we had, if he's out and um, can't come back, we're in trouble a little bit. Now, I, I do know that Schwartz is coming off IR. He's, he was eligible to come off IR this week, this week I believe, or, or this coming week, I believe. So maybe we'll see him come back if, if that – and that would be the best of solutions. The, the only other thing I can think is trying to get Allegretti back in – or not Allegretti, excuse me, trying to get uh, Marcus Rankins back in, um, either at guard or at tackle, and then rotate another guy out. Because as you said – when Durant was in the game, it it deteriorated very quickly. That guy's, I mean, I can't, I, again, I'm not even the level of what he is as an offensive lineman or ever was, but, man, he is not an offensive lineman in the NFL. So I, I think Jacob had a big point on on scheming the offensive line out, which may be his positive. But for me, it was it's, it's becoming more and more worrisome watching the offensive line and, and their poor performances against good defensive lines, which is what we're going to run into the rest of the year. I'll start with Durant. I think a name that popped into my head as you were speaking is Barry Richardson of a guy that was drafted late as a tackle and then had to fill a role and look completely lost. And then after some playing time was okay. So maybe Durant still has that arc. I'm not going to sit here and rip him just because, you know, they had no offseason this year. And Sam's right. I wanted to talk scheme of the offensive line. But before I do that, let me do my two seconds on running backs because I don't think we're going really there this week. But, yeah, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire just brings an attitude to the offense. And I will defend a running back in the first round with him. He was stellar. His numbers don't pop off the page at you because, like you guys say, he breaks so many tackles and he runs behind what is not a very good run power run blocking team. They have to, as we've said previous weeks, they have to use motions and get tricky to run a lot of the times. But, yeah, I thought they did a nice job of scheming. I thought first the Chiefs did a nice job of scheming the offensive line out of the game by throwing quick passes and not having to have, you know, five-step drops, which turn into 20-step drops, which turn into 30-step drops when you have Patrick Mahomes, record breaker. But also the Dolphins kind of schemed the offensive line out of the game as well. I am going to defend my worst prediction maker Twitter handle. I still am the worst prediction maker. The, the Dolphins didn't seem to really blitz all that often. They typically rush three or four, and I think that also kind of schemed the offensive line out of the game a little, which is also, like Sam said, scary because they still had some ability to get to the quarterback. 
I will defend Eric Fisher because I don't think he's played that poorly, but I think he's just surrounded by constant moving pieces and not a lot of guys that are doing great. Finally, it's, it's like you guys say, Mitch Schwartz, I think, was eligible this week but didn't come back in. So, man, if we don't see him soon, you start to wonder, you know, how hurt is Mitch Schwartz? Is this going to, like we said previously, is this going to be an off-season decision of here's somewhere we're going to have to save cap because of injury? I wasn't overly concerned. I thought they schemed it well for the O-line. The one time that I do kind of want to bring up just general game is the very end of the game – I thought Andy Reid managed this game really well. Turnovers made the management not look as good. But then at the very end of the game is where I think the O-line still plays a role of the Chiefs went run, run, pass after the two-minute warning, and it killed them. Personally, and I'm not going to try to be too nitpicky on this one, personally, I think – on your first and second down between one and two, it's got to be a Mahomes throw the ball play because he's not going to make the wrong decision and, you know, get, in, get a terrible incomplete pass. And even on the third down when they schemed a pass play for him, he just went to the ground because he knew he needed the clock. So that was the, probably the biggest takeaway for me. I could sit there and rag on Ryder and Wiley all day and I have X's next to their name. I'm not even going to bring up how many X's I have because I don't think either of them are really great. And I'm hoping that they take them away in the offseason. But, again, it was all scheme for me. And then the weird thing was at the end, the scheme was like, hey, let's rely on our offensive line to block well on this this uh, sweep to the left. And it just didn't work. And they ended up in third and 19, I believe, which is just mm-hmm. – that's the only one I want to scheme-wise say. And I'm sorry that I did three different categories on that one, but I, you know, I am a great rambler. No, and real quick, piggybacking off your point, Jacob, it's um, I, I think you're completely correct, and it's, it's really a good way to to wrap up this game as a whole. I think is the inability to finish games, the inability to to wrap, to just put the put the shovel in the dirt and just finish a game, because that has been a consistent problem of Andy Reid as a whole. I feel like either ha- whether it's been the mismanagement of clock or, or the changing of play calling, because that's what I mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast was taking the foot off the gas, to not just crushing their throat and, and finishing the game because that that's what we've seen is instead of allowing Mahomes to just continue doing what has been successful from the game, they try to run the clock, which in, in, football logic is what we do that is that is what you're taught from a young age as you have the lead in the fourth quarter you run the ball we can't run the ball so why are we continually trying and and that's that's a a a big issue for me with the Chiefs is and I think one of the points potentially at the end Sean is is your question of of who can beat the Chiefs is who is our threat going into the end my biggest threat for the Chiefs going into the playoffs outside of any other team is the Chiefs because what I've seen their ability to beat themselves and and allow teams to work their way back into games is because of stupid stuff where you stop you stop passing you try to run the ball behind an offensive line that obviously is not good and it's what in my prediction if we lose another game or if we we don't make it to the Super Bowl it will because of it will be because of situations like that not necessarily because we get out like right beat by a team yeah can I just I would want to finish with that too and I thought 
Andy Reid had been managing really well near the end of games of, hey, you know what, don't go away from the past. You have Patrick Mahomes. And this was the week where it was like, oh, hey, I forgot all the lessons I learned. Let's run, run, pass. Yeah, I I agree. It was a, like you said, a very confusing game. And I do want to stick with your our, our kind of look ahead since we have kind of we wrapped this game. Let's let's go ahead and look and Sam. Let's. I don't know if I'm going to have a better answer than that. That's a great answer to the question of who who is the Chiefs' biggest threat. Uh, I'll I'll go ahead and go second here because my answer is not that good, and I'm sure Jacob's going to give a better answer than what I can. So, for me, as far as teams would go. My my biggest concern are the Tennessee Titans. Derrick Henry, he he to me is the Patrick Mahomes of running backs. He is like in the in the way of he is like nothing I've ever seen as as an NFL fan, as a football fan. He just had 200 yards on the ground again with two touchdowns. He now has four career games like that, and he just passed Ladanian Tomlinson, Barry Sanders, and Jim Brown for that record. I think Ryan Tannehill is a, a very competent quarterback who will who does not make a ton of mistakes. When you talk about fast athletic receivers giving the Chiefs a hard time, AJ Brown kind of checks all those boxes. He's he's the one that that team has, you know, short of a you know dynamic elite tight end, they have all of the things that make me really uncomfortable as a as a football, as a Chiefs fan. Jacob, what about you? Who who would you pick as far as your biggest threat to the Chiefs going forward when you look into the actual playoffs? I love Sam's answer. I should have just used Sam's because that's good. The Chiefs, <laughs> Chiefs are the biggest threat. No, I asked the question, honestly, because I couldn't come up with a great answer. I still think the Raiders are – it's a league of matchups, right? And I think the Raiders are still the Chiefs' kryptonite, and thankfully they are not going to be in the playoffs. Now, that's not official, but it's official. They're not going to make it based on the current setup. They do get the chance to play the Dolphins for that head-to-head matchup. So they might still sneak in, but I just don't see them finishing strong enough to do so. They've fallen off a cliff after playing the Chiefs. I think I believe one in three in their last four. No, if I'm realistically choosing a team, I'm actually going to lay it out the up kind of like the Raiders that say, okay, who's got a tight end or a big dude that can cause matchup problems, but also has a good array of weapons on offense and also has a solid running game. I'm not even really going to think about defense because I think Patrick Mahomes can beat any defense. I think it's more on what team has a quarterback that can ball out with Patrick Mahomes, but also is kind of a well-rounded offense. So really, I guess what I'm trying to more concisely say is who's the most well-rounded offense that they might play and I think the Titans is a pretty good answer they do scare me another one that I wonder about is the Colts of they seem to be playing pretty well but at the same time I think about the playoff game two years ago which was still under Frank Reich and you know Mahomes just tearing up that zone defense all over the field but it's tough to say because, you know, now the Bills are the flavor of the month since they beat the Steelers and nobody's afraid of the Steelers anymore. And really, I should have just stuck with the Chiefs are the biggest threat to the Chiefs in the playoffs and not spoke at all. That really was the best answer. Like, that's – that's in, in all honesty, it's like, Sam, to your point, like, it's probably the right answer, like, when you really think about it. When you talk about the weapons, the coaches, you know, the defensive talent, 
that is there regardless of how well they play in spurts. I, I, I think you're right, Sam. Like, that one makes the most sense to me, too. After you said it, I was like, geez, that's, he's right. That's exactly it. It's just them. Yeah, and real quick, I just wanted – because I had thought about Jacob's answer outside of the fact that, in my opinion, the Chiefs are – the people that – the team that beats the Chiefs are the Chiefs is if I had to choose another team. Uh, Sean, you actually – you beat me with my team because the Titans, I hadn't even really thought of them. When you really think of their makeup, they are the Raiders but better because mm-hmm. they have a better running back. They have a better – as A.J. Um, AJ Brown, is that what his name is? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then your your miss is that they do have a dynamic tight end in Jonu Smith. So mm-hmm. they actually do have a, a very good offense. But the team I'm actually looking at, no, I, I don't think Manziel is a great quarterback. Mayfield. I don't think Manziel is either. That's why he's out of the league. They're in reality the same guy. The same person. Mayfield. Um, the, the Browns have been playing very well since Odell Beckham came out, and their running backs are just – I mean, the combination of – our pariah and Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, or if Nick Chubb come, when he comes back, are, are a very good set. And that was the team that I looked at that I'm like, they're, they're playing very well right now. So I, I think there are some good teams. But, again, for my, my point, it is, it is the Chiefs beat the Chiefs, and that's just the reality of the situation. Right. And, Sam, I nearly cut you off earlier when you were kind of previewing our playoff talk when you are like, and I actually think the biggest threat to the Chiefs, I was going to cut you off and say the Titans – because of how much you love Derrick Henry. But uh, I I didn't want to leave our podcast and get into predictions before I wanted to mention that Anthony Sherman will never touch the ball again this season. Nope. He he, he ruined the Patrick Mahomes play this week. You know, I just scrambled through eight people, and then I whipped it from my sidearm to the fullback. So, Anthony Sherman, you had your chance. I need to apologize to Jonu Smith. Uh, did not realize what kind of season he was having. He's got seven touchdown catches uh, on 32 receptions, 358 yards. Maybe not the targets that Kelsey gets, obviously, but when he catches it, he makes it count. So, my bad. The reason I know that fact, Sean, is because he's on my fantasy team, and <laughs> since he's fallen off, uh, my fantasy team has fallen apart. So. That's what I was going to say. The people that know they have, that they have Jonu Smith are the people that have him in their fantasy football team. <laughs> Or people that got destroyed early in the season by that other person's fantasy football team. I think A.J. Brown, though, is the bigger one, and I had actually kind of forgot about him. So I think the Titans, like you all have said, is probably the best best kryptonite maybe for the Chiefs. They scare me a lot. Now, can't look too far ahead because the Chiefs do have a a – maybe a Dolphins-level threat without Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints coming up this week. Uh, They got – they got to play New Orleans – uh, on the this coming Sunday at 3:25, the last game the Saints played was against uh, the Eagles, and they lost that game 24 to 21. Taysom Hill fin- playing in the game for Drew Brees, who is looking more and more like he will not play against Kansas City, are all the stories that I've read so far. Uh, Taysom Hill had 28 of 38 for 291 yards, two touchdowns, one pick in the air. He also added 33 yards on the ground on five carries. He's he's going to be the guy going forward. Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas both had solid games in this one. Uh, they were, you know, still elite level talents. What would you be thinking about this matchup with the Chiefs and the uh, New Orleans Saints? Jacob, we'll start with you here. Yeah, you know, as my brain was thinking about this game, just to prove how savvy of an NFL mind I am, 
I kept thinking Alvin Kamara, and that was the only person I could think of. <laughs> which is really embarrassing to not even think about Michael Thomas. I've watched, I believe, let's see, two of the Saints Taysom Hill games, just knowing in anticipation that the Chiefs would end up, you know, probably playing Taysom Hill because older quarterbacks don't really return from their injuries very quickly or effectively. So I figured either way it was probably going to be Hill. But yeah, when I have watched them, what I see is Hill relies heavily on Michael Thomas. And I don't think it's crazy to think about the Dolphins for this game, just to think about, or you know what, who's even a better probably thinking about is maybe the Buccaneers of, you know what, they might have some weapons, but can they get the ball to those weapons with the quarterback that is back there? One of the biggest fears I have in this game is Cam Jordan on defense. He is probably my favorite non-Chiefs player just because that guy is – that guy is if Frank Clark was a little bit bigger and better at rushing the passer because he is relentless and just doesn't quit on plays. He is, like I said, you know, I could talk about him forever, but I've already said he's one of my favorite non-Chiefs players. And I am terrified if Yasir Durant is going against Cam Jordan this week. Yeah, for me, um, you actually kind of almost stole the words out of my mouth, Jacob, with uh, saying the Buccaneers, because the the reason I, I look at this game and I'm not as terrified as far as what the what the Saints have historically been is because with Michael Thomas, what I'm seeing is maybe a faster version, but but Mike Evans. You've got a huge Mike Evans or big-bodied wide receiver, and, and Breland did a very good job of, of taking him out of the play. Now you still have a fast wide receiver in Emmanuel Sanders, and that obviously plays obviously a part into our weakness. But you, you look back at the at the games that Taysom Hill has won. Now, I, obviously, the, the Saints are at the top of their division right now, um, which is a competitive division, but it hasn't been a, a struggle through very high-quality opponents, to say the least. Um, the last game that they won, the high quality game they won was against the Buccaneers, and that was a Drew Brees game. Um, that was the last game Drew Brees played. So they, they've ran through the opponents they've had to play up until this week, um, and it is expected. But I'm not too terribly concerned. Jacob Cam Jordan, or Cam Jordan is a freak, and he's he obviously worries me as well with our offensive line problems. But I can't see it being – any kind of an offensive shootout, considering we're, we're going against the Dan Swanson of quarterbacks. <laughs> That's true. And I will say, to, to add to the point about um, – I don't have a whole lot to add here about the game, but I do, I do want to add Jared Cook is also on the Saints. So, again, it's one of those combinations where you have multiple – there are multiple aspects that all kind of line up to what have given the Chiefs problems. Jared Cook, obviously not – um, you know, Darren Waller, or, you know, maybe you can argue Mike Gusecki with a different quarterback. I remember him giving the Chiefs fits in Oakland, and that that still scares me a little bit. Maybe it's just PTSD. Maybe he's not the player he once was. But between him, uh, a running back who's as dynamic as Alvin Kamara, I know because he's on my fantasy team, uh, Michael Thomas, who is also on my fantasy team, and I've been waiting to, for him to come off of IR and actually do something. He's finally starting to play well, so that scares me. And then, like, to your point, Sam, Manuel Sanders, Sanders at, as your speed wide receiver, that's, uh, that's the one that kind of – all of those guys have tortured uh, the Kansas City Chiefs at one point or another. So I think that's the part that worries me the most. Let's go ahead and wrap this up with what do we need to see from the Chiefs, and we'll go ahead and get final scores as we go around here. I'll go ahead and go first. I, I have got to see some different 
pieces on the offensive line. I know it's not a scheme thing. It's not a performance thing. I just have to see some different bodies. You know, you brought Steve Wisniewski back for a reason. Kilgore looked really good in the time that he had, maybe not in all aspects of the past game, but overall I thought he looked way better than what they've got running out there right now. You had, you had mentioned it before, Sam, um, uh, Martavius, Bryant. I'm blanking on his name all of a sudden. Rankin. Martavius Bryant is a wide receiver in the he NFL. Is. Um, I have about making one player on the Chiefs a completely different one who's on a different team. But Rankin, yes, I need to see him at some point at guard. And, again, it's, it's not even a these guys are so much better. It's, it's they cannot be worse right now, especially if you're not going to have Remmers. I think you need to shore up as many other holes as you possibly can so that you can help with that right tackle slot if, if Schwartz isn't ready to play this week. That, to me, is the thing that I absolutely have to see. I, I do think that if Drew Brees was playing this game, it would be a very different game for me. As it stands with Taysom Hill, I think it's going to be 31-17, Chiefs. Um, Jacob, we'll go ahead and go to you here next. What do you, what do you need to see from the Chiefs? And go ahead and give your score here uh, once you've done that. Yeah, I'm going to be simple this week and say – I'm going to say I want to see Patrick Mahomes come out healthy because, again, I'm terrified of Cam Jordan. And knock on wood, sorry about that. And just a win, that's it. I, I'm not looking for a ton this week other than just come away with a win. I think this is going to be a really strange game with a fullback playing quarterback. And I just want to win this week. This was one, of, this was one that was circled on the calendar to start the year and was a, you know, one of the potential this might get flexed to be the opening night game that Buccaneers and then of course they went with what was a great game the Texans my score prediction because history often repeats itself is 26 to 3 that is a previous score of a game and I will let fans out there look up and see what game that was because I think it's very identical to that because a fullback was also playing against Patrick Mahomes in that game yeah, now I got to go back and look it up. Sam, what about you? What do you have to see from the Chiefs in this one and, and give us your final score to take us home? Uh, I mean, you pretty much hit the nail on the head with the offensive line. Just just something different for them. Not killing Patrick Mahomes. Uh, not seeing him getting hit constantly or, or on the ground. And then on the defensive side, I, I would like to continue to see the rotation of defensive linemen we saw this week to see if that was really what allowed us to get the, the effective pressure that we got this week. So really my two things are both on the kind of rotations of the, the lines on both sides, just with the offense trying to find something that works and the defense seeing if it continues to work. My score prediction, I'm going to go 38-21. I think that they will be able to put up points with the weapons they have. Um, but I think, again, Mahomes is, is going to score in the 30s again that we've seen multiple games this year. So, Well, that's going to do it for us, folks. I really appreciate you spending your evening or afternoon, morning with us whenever you are listening to this podcast. Hopefully we get another Chiefs win. Like Jacob said, you know, all the biggest thing, no matter what we're looking for, that matters is that they get the W. You guys all stay safe out there, and we will talk to you next week.